How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got to I got to check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. A baseball first podcast. Sort of. Featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is... I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch has got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Welcome into another edition of Booze and Baseball with Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. This is episode number 22 for us. We're going to actually be doing a couple episodes here that we're going to split into two parts. We'll release them at different dates. And the reason why, it is about the 60-game mark of the season. Obviously, it's different for different teams. But if you remember, last year, shortened season, it was a 60-game season. So if we were in last year's year, this would be it. And then we'd be headed on to the postseason. So we would have all our postseason awards. We would have our playoffs set. So we're going to actually do like end of season awards as if it was another shortened season. So today will be the American League. Tomorrow's show or whenever the next one comes out will be the National League. Um, and first things first, we get to what we're drinking today. Um, Dusty, what are you drinking? Yeah, so on this podcast, uh, this is the first podcast, I would say, in which I have shown up very hungover. And so uh, I have a story because I went to Costco, and I don't know if you were aware of this, Derek, you might have, but they sell 36 racks there, which is absolutely ridiculous if you think about that. Six more so, than- yeah, it's, it, I mean, like you normally will go out, you'll get a 30 rack and you're like, that's, that's plenty for you know, hopefully several people. I hope you're not buying that just for yourself. You might have a problem. Um, but so 36 rack, that is a lot. And so um, we were supposed to have people over at my place. One of my friends is leaving our city. And uh, instead, I have this 36 rack I purchase. And then instead, we go out to the bars and I don't drink any of the 36 rack right now. So just out of the concept that I'm a little hungover from the other drinks that I had, all the sugariness, I decided we, we haven't had a classic course in a while. So this is, this is number one of 36 now finally going down the drain. Okay, well, uh, maybe we'll get to the end of it by the end of the show. <laughs> I am drinking a Free State Oatmeal Stout. And Ooh, that's a little good. bottle showed up to the screen for you. It's got a. It looks like a Rocky it. dog. It looks yeah. like Rocky. Yeah, my I dog Rocky. A Beethoven dog, but it's possible. I mean, we can just go with that. We can go with Rocky. Yeah, if you like where your head's at. Yeah. Um. So the oatmeal stout. It's a thicker beer. Um. Obviously, being a stout, it is delicious, man. It's Free State, which is a local Lawrence brewery. Very good. So I'm gonna crack this baby. You're a big oatmeal stout guy. I respect that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a sweet-looking bottle right there, too. It's, it's very opposite of Coors, you know? You're not going to be able to drink a bunch of them. It's more of a, a finishing beer, but it's good, you know? It's it's a thicker beer. It has good taste to it. Um, 
you know, if you like Guinness, you would like an oatmeal stout. I would say that. So that's um, a that's, fa- that's a fair assessment right there. I, I'm a big oatmeal stout guy myself, but that one looks really good. I'm gonna have to go find a way and try that. So by you the way, already know what a course is. <laughs> yes, that is true. And by the way, if you're looking for a good Father's Day gift, I got a good combo for you for your dad. First of all, we have our man cave merch coasters, which you can put your beer, whatever beverage you want on it to avoid the condensation getting onto your nice table or whatever. And you have cool baseball cards in the coaster. The second part of it, you get some of the uh, spider tact for your dad and you tell him <laughs> to put it on his hand and the beer will never like go down. He can just shake the beer on his hand. So that's uh, a beautiful of, of Garrett Cole oh. and the spider tact. You can uh, <laughs> just get that for your dad and it'll be a perfect beer holder. You know what? Garrett Cole is really, I mean, for his family, he's definitely provided. I think for his dad, he will be the first person to be able to offer that up because I know that spider tact is definitely prevalent in his living room. I think Trevor Bauer has definitely made a point about that spin rate increasing. Um, one thing that I'm very excited to see, the day of the recording of this, actually, Garrett Cole is pitching and he's facing Josh Donaldson, who called him out saying, uh, obviously, bringing up the fact that that tact is being used and what a shocker that you can get, you know, $324 million when you're using that. Derek, this is a real problem though in this league right now that they are, you know, more than I think 85% of pitchers are using some sort of substance um, to ultimately doctor the baseballs. And the fact that this has been going on uh, for a while and it's widely known across the league and you saw Garrett Cole's reaction. I mean, he was basically speechless. The memes were incredible. I mean, the memes were wonderful, but to see his response was just pathetic. And and I'm really disappointed. Uh, And Derek made a pretty good point in off the podcast. It was the concept that, you know, you look 20 years in the future here. Is this something we're going to look back on and say, this was, you know, the steroid era version uh, for pitchers because this is the year of the pitcher. And now we may not be surprised why. Yeah. I mean, we look back at guys who were in the steroid era and, you know, with, with Barry Bonds, like maybe it's, maybe it's a little more gray than that, but certain guys were, were like, Oh, but I don't know, like uh, steroids, like, I don't know. We, we can't vote him in the hall of fame. And I wonder if you'll look back on this in 20 years, like, the only way it would happen would be if the MLB at a later date, which who knows, maybe it happens now, but at a later date comes out and is like, no, we're not allowing this anymore. And then we could look back and anybody who had like a really good pitcher season, who then isn't the same after they make those adjustments in the MLB, we're going to look back on and be like, yeah, but was he that good? Or was it just about some of the substances he was using uh, to throw these pitches? I I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen, but Certainly with, with some of the high horses that some of the, the writers who vote in the Hall of Fame voting uh, kind of occupy themselves with, that wouldn't surprise me at all. So I think that's interesting. And honestly, it's like, it's so silly. The MLB, you go back to the steroid era and Bud Selig basically tries to cover it up to increase ratings when you have the awesome uh, home run chase between Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. But then all of a sudden, if anything starts coming out negatively, now he is, oh no, we're going to punish everybody. And uh, I had nothing to do with this. And I feel like that's going to be the same thing with, with Manfred. He's just going to play this out till it becomes an issue. And then as soon as it does, he's going to act like they've been working hard to try to prevent it this whole time. I, I think I saw like today, Pete Alonzo was like, you know, I don't really care what substances they use. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of hitters feel that way for just the standpoint of if you're going to be throwing like 98 miles per hour with all these pitchers throwing so fast, 
like I want you to have control of the baseball and that's that's what like the pitch grip stuff does I mean you might be able I, I don't know enough about it to know if it adds a bunch of velocity but to my knowledge you're not gaining a ton of velocity on it it's more about like the spin rate and the control and being able to to move the ball in different ways and if that's the case it's more about the control and again you don't want a Kevin Pillar situation where you just get hit with the baseball at 98 miles per hour or whatever in the face Right. And if Derek, I, I got to ask you this, if there was one pitcher, uh, let's say, because you, you're a Kevin Gosman guy. Um, what if I told you that Kevin Gosman used these substances, would that change your opinion of him? Because, you know, if you ask me about Clayton Kershaw, I, it's hard for me to say no, you know, like, like I mean, honestly, it, to me, it does have a significant impact on the game. Um, I mean, it would change my opinion from like a fantasy baseball perspective where it's like, uh oh, is this guy not going to be as good all of a sudden? But from like what he is, not really, because again, if so many pitchers are using it, then like, is it, is it that different from the other guys? I, I, I tend to think not really, you know, I, but I guess part of it's just a wait and see, like if all these guys go out there and all of a sudden we see pitching starting to instead of this year being dominant and all of a sudden we're back to like steroid era levels of hitting then yeah certainly that would change my mind but i i don't really think so and and i think i think to some degree this has been happening to a long time it's been different uh types of substances and, and maybe the chemicals and testing is better now but like there has been this type of thing going on in baseball forever so no it doesn't change my mind on anything well, transitioning to the more positive side of things, Derek, uh, you had mentioned that we are the 60 game for most teams. Uh, and so now at the point, I mean, looking at that playoff structure, what that would have looked like, a very different scenario than what we saw last year. Yeah, uh, the one seed would be Tampa. That's not different. The eight seed would be Toronto. That also not different. Um, but here's where you get a little different. The Yankees would be the seven seed taking on the two seed White Sox right now. And if you remember the playoff format, they did – the top three division winners were the one through three seed. Second place in each division were four through six. And then the top two uh, who weren't top two in their division were seven and eight based on record from there. So the Yankees would be the top record that wasn't even top two in their division right now. That'd be tough for the White Sox first round. Oakland would be the three seed. Cleveland would be the six. And then this would be a really good four or five matchup. Uh, they're actually playing today too. Boston and Houston would be the four or five. If you could go just based off of, you know, playing or picking seed by seed there, what direction would you go? Because for me, I'm just looking at it across the board. And even that one versus eight matchup of Tampa versus Toronto, I mean, that's no joke either. No, I, I could absolutely see Toronto pulling the upset. But I would go with the Rays. They have the experience there. I would go with the White Sox. I would honestly go with Cleveland over Oakland. Oakland struggled in the postseason a lot of years and on top of it, Cleveland, you know, you have the pitching um, and that would be a five game series or did they No, they did three game series in the quarterfinals. So three game series, Shane Bieber goes out there and pitches a gem in game one. All of a sudden you're down one. Oh, they only have to get one more win with some of their other good pitchers. Um, so I'd go them there. And then I just, Houston has been so clutch in the postseason last year, I think was kind of proof. So I'd go Houston over Boston. Um, plus I, I like Houston's ability. Like Houston has so much starting pitching depth. If they were in that short series, they could really mix and match guys and, and be super interesting. That's something that Boston doesn't really have. Um, I don't know what I would do from there. Probably the White Sox against Tampa Bay. And then I, I think I would go Tampa Bay back to the World Series. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty close on that too, except for I would, uh, I would take the White Sox because I've been a homer for them for way too long. And I have to stick with that pick, even with Tony La Russa being the probably worst manager I've ever seen for a first-place team. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with most of those picks outside of probably the World Series one. The Boston-Houston series would be interesting to me just because I really love Boston's lineup. I think they legitimately have three MVP candidates all hitting back-to-back-to-back. So uh, to see that matching up, like you said, against a relatively decent Houston rotation, I'd be curious to see how that would go. I think both of those teams are sneaky. Cool. All right, let's get to our awards, and we'll kind of go back and forth and give a little discussion what we think. And uh, we'll give who we think should win right now, but also, obviously, there's going to be a lot of names brought up here because there are a lot of guys um, for a lot of these awards that you could really recognize in one way or another. So the first one is obviously MVP, and we're doing the American League on this show to the National League on next show. Um, I'll kick this off. I'm going to go Vladdy. Uh, Toronto's, again, the eighth seed. So outside of looking in, in terms of the real playoffs, but if this was the 60-game season, they'd at least be in. He's leading the American League in average, home runs, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, OPS. He's right near the top in terms of runs driven in. Again, I'd like the Blue Jays to be a little better, but they're still above 500. Uh, they'd still be that eight seed overall. And you look at some of his analytical numbers too. It's insane. 99th percentile exit velocity, max exit velocity, 98th in expected weighted on base average, 97th in expected batting. I could go on and on and on. This guy has been absolutely fantastic. He's only 22 years old. And uh, yeah, the youth of the game is very strong. You know, I, I like Vladdy as an MVP pick. I definitely think he's in the top two. Uh, you could also add a, a few other names into that that realm. But my pick for MVP is none other than Shohei Otani. I, I just have a hard time picking against him. When his numbers to Vladdy, I mean, they're not exactly on point hitting-wise, but they're pretty dang close. He has 17 home runs. He has 13 doubles. Uh, that's in limited at-bats as well, 203 at-bats, uh, slugging 606, which is absolutely ridiculous, and 08. He can pitch really, really well as well. His 2.76 ERA is whip is a little higher than I'd want it to be at 116, but he still gets the job done. He's getting swings and misses left and right. 12.76 K per nine. He has only had three quality starts, so that's one interesting thing. Is maybe he's not going deeper in games. He is striking out a lot of guys, though. Uh, the two and one record is maybe not the greatest thing you'll see, but he's also not on a team that wins an awful lot, and that might be one thing that really kills him at the end of the day. You had mentioned that the Blue Jays are just borderline in terms of the playoffs. The Angels are nowhere near there. And uh, he's going to probably get the Mike Trout treatment, I would imagine, which is you put up unbelievable numbers, but the team around you is not helping your case at all. Uh, unfortunately for Otani, he's literally having to do it all, both offensively and pitching-wise. And it's still not doing a whole heck of a lot for the Angels to move up and one of the weaker divisions, in my opinion. Um, at the end of the day, though, in addition to Vladdy and Shohei, I think uh, a couple candidates out there that make some sense are Rafael Devers. He leads the league in RBIs and doubles. He also has 15 home runs. His slugging is 560. Xander Bogarts is an interesting case. I don't know if he's quite there yet, but he, he at least has to have his name in the discussion. Um, he's got a 321, 380, 532 uh, slash line. So pretty decent numbers there for Bogarts, actually for the two Red Sox. And I hate it, and I don't believe it, but you can honestly make an argument for Cedric Mullins. He's got 12 doubles. He's got nine home runs. He's got 
uh, nine stolen bases as well. His slash line is actually ridiculous. It's 325, 394, and 541. I, I did not realize, I guess, looking at those numbers, how effective he's been. Uh, but let's be honest, Derek. The right answer for all of this for the MVP is obviously your mean Mercedes prior to mid-May before Tony La Russa decided to ruin his entire life by calling him out on a 3-0 home run. That's what ruined your mean. I still am a believer. Your mean was the MVP of the early part of the season. And I will stand for my man, your mean. You should never be mean to your mean. Yeah, he was, I mean, yeah, if you would have just taken a snapshot of the first two weeks or month or whatever the season, then yeah, he probably would have been MVP. Um, it's weird. Like, I didn't really count Cedric Muller. I, I didn't really view him, his case that well, just because the Orioles still aren't that good. But certainly the numbers are there. And I feel like I do have a little bias of the fact that I don't think it's going to continue. But I mean, the season now, you have to consider him with those amazing numbers. The Vladdy and Otani debate to me is really interesting because – Vladdy has been the better hitter and he's taken more at bats, which if it's most valuable player, you do have to take into account like how often you play because the more you play, the more you're impacting the game. But Otani has that pitching ability. And if you actually look at war, um, Otani has a two war hitting um, or just from like a batter slash fielder standpoint. And he has a one and a half war pitching. So you add it up. That's a three and a half war. Vladdy, his war is 3.1. So that would actually favor you that Otani should be there. I just, I love the season that, that Vladdy has had. Okay. So it's a really, it's a toss up, honestly, to me. I think both of them deserve it. And uh, it's a matter of what do you prefer? Do you prefer the guy that's more versatile or do you prefer the guy that's probably the best player uh, that can hit better than any other player in the league right now. That It's really up to debate, and that's not something I think that is a concrete situation. They're gonna The voters this year have a really interesting situation dealing with the MVP. I think the Cy Young might honestly be deeper in the American League than the MVP race is, uh, to be quite honest, because you mentioned a lot of good guys, but at the end of the day, I do think it's, it's a little easier maybe to narrow it down to two with Otani and Vladdy. In the American League, we might end up having the same guy here. I don't know. I'm going to go Garrett Cole. But I do think there's a lot of guys we should kind of mention here. Uh, first of all, though, just with Garrett Cole, obviously another great season. Six and three, two, two, six ERA. Strikeout numbers are there. The whip's under .9. Certainly, we'll see what happens from here on out. I know his last start wasn't as good after there was the talk about, oh, is it because the MLB said punishments are coming? And then you have the question that we talked about earlier in the show. So that'll be interesting to monitor. But – as it stands right now, he's been fantastic. If you look at ESPN, they cut things off. Like if you're sorting by certain stat categories, um, like to qualify for the being the league leader in, for instance, like average or ERA, you have certain qualifiers. Like you have to play a certain amount of games. Uh, to qualify for the ERA lead, you have to have pitched on average one inning per team game played. So over the course of a 162 game season, you would have had to pitch 162 innings to qualify for the ERA lead. If we just count those guys who are qualified right now, the only guy with a better ERA is Kyle Gibson. Um, the only guy qualified with a better whip is John Means. Uh, Garrett Cole also has six wins. AL leader has eight, so he's not far back there. I don't really care about wins as much, but I know some people do. And if you look at K per nine, he's in the top three as well with Tyler Glasnow and Shane Bieber. So because of just the overall put it all together, that's why I would go Garrett Cole. But I think everybody I mentioned there, Gibson, Means, Glasnow, Bieber would all be in the discussion. And I think you could probably mention both of those White Sox stud pitchers with Lance Lynn and Carlos Rodon too. 
Yeah, you, and that transitions exactly to kind of my direction of this too because I do think Garrett Cole is pretty much the clear favorite right now. It's a three-way race in terms of those that qualify. It's him and you have Glass now, of course, that's been pitching – uh, pretty much lights out for the most part of the season, and then Shane Bieber as well. Uh, but I have to give Rodon some credit because Rodon has been unbelievable this season. Derek knows as well as everybody else. I'm a believer of Carlos Rodon and Tyler O'Neill, and uh, somehow, some way, both of them have had really great starts to this season. Uh, but Carlos Rodon, if you look deep into his numbers, the reason why he doesn't qualify, as Derek mentioned, you have to have one inning pitch per game. Well, so 60 games. He has 59 and two-thirds innings pitch, so he's one out away from actually qualifying. And if he was qualifying, he has a legitimate case in this one. He's five and two, has 88 strikeouts in those 59 and two-thirds innings pitched, but his ERA is lower than Garrett Cole's at 1.96, which is absolutely insane. Uh, his, his whip, something that he's struggled with his entire career, it's at 0.89. So he's getting guys out. He's not getting a lot of guys on. And his K per nine is even pretty ridiculous in itself, 13.27. So he's had five quality starts in those short outings. He's had, I think, the one big thing about Rodon that kind of is a, a takeaway for me that probably leads me to believe he won't win or be considered for this award is that he does not go deep in games his most recent start he went five innings prior to that he went six and six and another six innings he went five and two-thirds then six innings six innings he's only gone one game actually uh that is actually a complete game that he had the no hitter uh so nine innings and uh seven strikeouts and that no hitter against cleveland on april 14th so Rodon definitely is a standout to me i think he should be considered if he actually has the innings amount Let's not forget he's very injury prone. Uh, so the odds of him staying healthy this entire season, it's not very high. I wouldn't bet very much on that, but I do think he deserves a shout out. And also Danny Duffy. I mean, Danny Duffy was looking like potentially the AL Cy Young Award winner at the very start of the season until he got injured. Um, obviously, he's not going to qualify unless he comes back sooner than later it sounds like he's throwing once again so that's good news if you're a Royals fan uh, but Duffy was just as good as any other pitcher out there in the league uh, but with that being said Garrett Cole still has to be the favorite at the end of the day yeah and I should say that I mean even if you don't qualify technically you can still win the award like you could barely miss out you could still win the award you just wouldn't be technically claimed the ERA leader so I do think honestly like Rodon would probably be top three for me um, right now. But as I said earlier, when you're talking about guys who are so close in value, sometimes just playing a few extra games, that does matter. That could be the difference between you being more valuable because that could lead to one extra win or whatever it is over the course of the season that ends up being really important for your team. Speaking of helping your team win, how about the guy who has his fingerprint all over the game plan? That would be the manager of the year in the American League, we kind of brought this up in a shotgun six pack like a week or two ago, like who it would be at the moment, um, just to toss out some some possible candidates. And, and you can add more if you want uh, in a second. But I think Alex Cora for Boston, he'd have to be up there. They weren't expected to, to do much. And what a story that would be a guy who was suspended all of last season if he came back and won manager of the year. I feel like that's not going to happen because the MLB is going to be like, nope, we're not letting this happen. Um, Terry Francona. Bob Melvin, Kevin Cash, all those guys deserve recognition. I'm going to go with Terry Francona because, um, first of all, this is booze in baseball, and his nickname is Tito, so Tito's <laughs> vodka. But also because Francona, I like 
I thought Cleveland would be like a 70, 75, maybe high 70s win team. I did not think they were any good. I did not buy the hitting. You traded away Lindor. It was kind of a mark from ownership that we're kind of giving up. I, I knew the pitching was going to be good, but like I just didn't think they'd have enough to muster up offensively. And sure enough, Terry Francona, when you just give him a couple good players, that's really just all he needs. It's kind of crazy how good Tito has been, and he's consistently one of the best managers. I, I would say he's the best manager, to be honest with you, in the league. I really do believe that. So cheers to Tito on the fact, of course, that he, to me, is the best manager in the league. But with that being said, Bob Melvin, to me, is the manager of the year for the American League. And here is why. Okay, you talked about how Terry Francona has been able to navigate through this uh, kind of a weird situation for the Indians. On top of that, you know, Fran Mel Reyes has been hurt for a lot of this, and you could argue he's been their best hitter outside of Jose Ramirez. Uh, for Melvin, year in, year out, he's consistent in this. But he's had to deal with injuries to Ramon Laureano. Matt Chapman has not been playing well at all. They have the worst production at shortstop in the entire league, OPS-wise. Uh, Elvis Andrews definitely not cutting it for them. And then they're coming off losing uh, Liam Hendricks. I mean, what did the A's truly have going for them this year? I didn't believe in them at all. I know you did, Derek. But the way that they've been able to navigate through this, uh, obviously Bassett's kind of grown uh, to be more of a reliable starter. Um, but just putting together a productive enough lineup to make it happen day in, day out, being able to make pitching switches uh, at the right time. He's done everything you could ask for a manager uh, with the least given to him. Um, and, and to me, I think that that's super impressive. I mean, they're head to head right now with the Astros going for first place in the AL West. And uh, on the day of recording, they're in first place. And so to me, I do like the award going to somebody that can lead a team to victory consistently. And I think based off what he's been given, uh, the only reason why he is the edge for me over Tito is he's got his team in first place somehow. I, I don't even really understand how. I, I don't get it. I know Mark Canna has been pretty great. That's Derek's guy right there. Uh, but ultimately, to find a way to get this team to win consistently has blown my mind uh, because there is no true superstar outside of if you want to argue Matt Olson is a superstar. I don't. I don't think he's a superstar. I think he puts up good numbers. Uh, but there's no huge face there. And imagine, Derek, imagine if they decide to actually make a move this deadline and go for Trevor Story. That would be quite the move because getting a shortstop that's productive, the A's could end up going to the World Series, in my opinion, if they make a move like that. Yeah, I would love that. And thanks for bringing up Matt Olson, by the way, because we probably should have broached him in the MVP talk. I mean, he's got a 937 OPS, 15 home runs. Like he's top 15 in home runs, RBIs, and OPS. So he at least deserves to be brought up there. He gets on base, sitting 276, and on a team that you mentioned wasn't expected to. I mean, like the Vegas over-under wins were in the 80s on him. So it's not like this is just completely out of the blue. But I do agree. Like I didn't think the A's were going to be having this good of a season. So uh, I think Bob Melvin was top two for me as well with – Tito. What about rookie of the year? Are we both going to stay in the AL West there with uh, Ed Olis? Yeah, I think that that's a pretty safe assumption. Honestly, to me, Derek, and, and tell me if you think I'm wrong here, it was pretty obvious from the first couple weeks that your mean Mercedes was the leading candidate there. And then obviously after the, the, the La Russa situation went down, he has been totally falling off the charts. He's not even on my list anymore. And it's unfortunate because I don't think that that's him. I think that that's a mental thing that has really ruined him. Uh, I think that plays a serious role, and, and it 
it's a bummer because I loved watching your mean play. I had him in fantasy. I even had to drop him. That was painful. But knowing that it just doesn't seem like the, the end is in sight for him to kind of get back to those good old days. Garcia has really broken out and he's one of the home run leaders in the league. Uh, but to me, just based off the fact there's not a lot of other candidates out there and his numbers are proving to be, you know, a key asset to why the Rangers are at least winning some games. I, I think it's a shoe in right now. If Garcia can even remotely keep up what he's doing. Yeah. I mean the power and it's not just that, like maybe this shouldn't matter because maybe it should just be about production, but like he's fun to watch too. And Oh yeah. Oh yeah. With the Rangers, like I wasn't expecting anything out of them and it's not like they've been great or anything, but probably slightly better than I thought they would be. Um, you look at some of the the power numbers too of like his stat cast stuff and he's just pounding the baseball. And then, yeah, it's just, it, there's not as many great candidates. I, I think Casey Mize has kind of slowly hit it. He had kind of a bad start to the season and that's maybe let him go under the radar. Like the strikeout numbers aren't great, but he's been really good his last, I don't know, month and a half or whatever. Um, you mentioned you mean Mercedes, which is kind of the opposite there. Randy Rosarena has – he hasn't, like, been living up to his postseason expectations, so to speak, which I think has probably hurt him in this discussion because we probably set too high of a bar for him. But he has been good. And then I'll even throw out Luis Garcia for Houston. Like, they brought him up uh, – I forget if it was Urquidy got injured or, or which of their pitchers got – I believe it was Urquidy. Urquidy okay. got hurt. That forced him to come up. And since then, he's been pitching really well. Like, he's got an ERA under three, caper nines over ten – we saw him kind of come up as a rookie last year in the postseason. It was like, who is this guy? Um, and he pitched so well so far this season that they said, oh, Christian Javier, I, I know you've had a really good season, but we're going to move you to the bullpen because we don't want to move Luis Garcia. So uh, I've been really impressed with him. Um, and then maybe there's some other guys that can make some noise. Like we haven't seen a ton from Alec Manoa. Um, Jared Kellenick would have been a lot of people's favorites. He got sent down. Joe Adele, if he gets called up. Brandon Marsh. Wander Franco, Vidal Brujan, if any of those guys get called up, especially because those two would be on the Rays and being on winning teams, maybe that's the difference. And I don't know, like, Adelise Garcia, like, I think the power numbers are very real. I don't think the 276 average is real because he has like a 30% strikeout rate. Uh, he's he in projects like similar to Fran Mill Reyes. It's kind of crazy. They're very similar players in that respect. But I think Fran Mill is a better, like he makes more contact. Cause the thing with Adelise, he's in the fourth percent. So there's 96% of the league is better than him at not chasing uh, balls out of the strike zone. He's only in the eighth percentile and walk percentage 14th and whiff. So like the power is real, but I think he's probably closer to a 230 hitter. If that drops down and then Wander Franco comes up in a week or whatever and starts rolling for the Rays and they end up getting the one seed in the AL, maybe that makes it more difficult. But as of right now, which is what we're doing here, 60 games, I think it's you, – you just shoo in Adelise Garcia. I think it's not even close, to be honest. Derek, at the end of this year, okay, there's absolutely no substance to this whatsoever. I must – preface this okay i mean we have literally nothing to work with except for what we've seen from these 60 games who wins the al rookie of the year who who wins it on your end mm, if you I, had to pick one person like if i had to bet on somebody i'm going with that at least just for the pure standpoint of he has the edge it's like it's like if you told me i was watching a horse race and i can bet on this horse who's going to start half a mile down the track and Wander Franco is the best horse in the race, but, like, will he make up that ground of the half a mile head start? Maybe he will. Maybe he's that good. 
but it's also still an unknown because he's still a prospect. So I, I would still go Adelise. What about you? My pick would be Alec Manoa. I, I know that he had kind of a rough second start, but I, I'm all in on this kid. I, I own both of them actually in fantasy baseball. And the value difference between Adelise for me and Manoa is almost so significant. It's ridiculous. I will never ever trade Manoa. He will forever be a permanent fixture on my team because I love I love how he projects. He is Lance Lynn 2.0. He he attacks the hitters. He's got filthy stuff. And I think that just some more experience at the MLB level, and you're going to end up finding him rise up in the rankings next year to be a top 25 pitcher uh, drafted in standard leagues. I, I really like what I see from him, and I think he just needs time at the MLB level. And not to mention his family is super cool. Uh, every time they go to one of his games, they are the loudest people in the stadium. And I just think that that's so cool to have his little hype team also there with him. But I, I think give him more time. And I believe that he's got the stuff to be able to stay at the MLB level this entire year and also win the rookie of the year. It's funny too, that like we're talking about Adelise Garcia's rookie of the year. He's 28 years old. Just when he happened to come up. Okay. Let's get on to the reliever of the year. There are probably some, I don't know. It's always difficult with relievers sometimes. Like how do you quantify? Are you going to look at saves holds? Uh, are you going to give it to somebody who, if they've had an amazing year, but they haven't got saves holds, I'm going to go with the role this Chapman. He's 4-0. You don't see a lot of wins for relievers often, but he's been able to do that. He has 12 saves, .39 ERA. Uh, the whip, 1.13, not as good. But if you look at war, sorted by relievers in the American League, he is number one. And actually, fun fact, number two, not who you would think. Kendall Graveman, who's had a really nice season. He's actually looked really good out of the pen, converting from a starter. He's second in war for relievers. And then Scott Barlow for the Royals is actually third in the AL in uh, war for relievers, but I'm going to go roll this. What about you? Coming up in one of these future shows, we will be talking about the trade deadline. I had mentioned Trevor's story, but Kendall Graveman is going to be such a massive uh, potential acquisition for any contending teams. I, I would have never thought that would be the case. Like Derek kind of said, like three years ago, Kendall Graveman was a decent starter for the A's at best, but now being one of the better, more dominant relievers, never saw that coming. But with that being said, Yes, I do ch think Chapman should get some serious recognition, but I got to go with my man, Liam Hendricks. He's been converting the most saves with 15 here. Uh, he has a 178 ERA. His whip is much lower than Chapman's. It's a .75 whip. That leads me to believe that Chapman's may be a little less sustainable moving forward. Uh, he's obviously eliminating the chances for runs to be scored now, but moving forward long-term, I'm not sure exactly if that's going to keep up. Uh, one thing that's interesting about Liam Hendricks, he's not allowed an earned run since April 24th, and that was against the Rangers. He's not allowed more than a single run since his very first appearance on April the 2nd against the Angels. He gave up two runs. That was on a two-run home run by none other than Shohei Otani. All of his earned runs, by the way, have come off the home run. So something curious about that is that he doesn't really find himself in trouble most of the time. Anytime he's giving up a run, it's a mistake pitch that ultimately dooms him for one at bat. Uh, I think that's interesting because moving forward to me, that, that tells me that Chapman gets himself in more difficult situations. He's got to get himself out of, and he's been doing that. But for Liam Hendricks, he's not getting himself into trouble. It's maybe one pitch is out of the zone or outside of where he's trying to locate it. And to me, I would take the latter of the two because I trust that more. Well, to your point, if you go by expected ERA, which kind of takes into account all of those numbers on like baseball savant, your expected this, this or that, your whatever exit velocity against all that stuff. 
Um, based on the expectation, Liam Hendricks is expected to have a 1.92 ERA, rolled as Chapman a 2.06. So you could argue Hendricks maybe a little bit better there. So I like that. I think we uh, hit all the guys we needed to there. Um, obviously, there's so many relievers, so we probably left somebody off. Uh, comeback player of the year. This one's interesting because it, it kind of views like – it's tough to vote, I'm sure, because how do you view being a comeback player? Like, did you have to miss last season with injury? Did you just have to be bad last season? Did you have to be, like, good before you were bad last season? Or can it just be, like, almost like a most improved player? I, I don't know how you view it. Um, I would probably go Kyle Gibson just because, I mean, a guy who had a 5-3-5 ERA, he was, like, an afterthought as far as pitching went, whether it's fantasy baseball or real-life baseball – just being kind of at the back end of the Rangers rotation. And now all of a sudden for qualified uh, pitchers, as we talked about earlier, he is the American league ERA leader. Yeah, honestly, you make a great point because it is such a, I guess, personal choice as to what you decide this award is about. Is it about somebody that used to be really talented and now all of a sudden, you know, after a rough season or two, they're back to who they were. It is really hard to figure out. And Kyle Gibson's always been a decent player in my eyes. He's always been decent, but he's never been this good. I mean, this has been an elite level for him. And so I, I like that a lot. Um, I have to say, though, I being in Cal Poly's area, right, being in San Luis Obispo, I got to go with Cal Poly's own because this is a special story with Mitch. Yes, it is. It is minor bias. It's minor bias. Minor. But you look at the numbers of Mitch Haniger. He has been so dang good this year. Incredibly efficient offensively. Have a look at his numbers in 2019, and they were not even marginally close to this good. He got hurt, of course, and was out all 2020. Uh, he has been as good of a hitter as any other. You could argue at least with the numbers that he deserves to be on the back end of the discussion for the MVP race as well. Uh, but as Derek kind of mentioned, it's hard to judge what you're looking for with this award because Marcus Semyon, a guy that was an MVP candidate at one point, is an MVP candidate again. Uh, Randall Gritchick, his teammate, playing unbelievable, maybe the best of his career. Yuli Gurriel has been hitting lights out. Like the way that he's been hitting has been as good, maybe the best hitter on the Astros. Um, Kyle Gibson, though, to me is probably – the, the biggest competition for Mitch Haniger and Marcus Semyon, if you consider Semyon to be in that running. Well, I mean, we've seen it like, okay, the NBA, for instance, it's not a perfect comparison, but you'll see guys who are good, but then they become great and that launch is enough for them. So like, I, I guess with Semyon, he didn't have that good of a year last year, but we've seen it before in like 2019 or 2018, for example. I also, another guy I want to bring up, Sean Manaya. Uh, a guy who consistently would have like a mid four ZRA. He's been really good this year. Um, and, and I don't know how sustainable it'll be, but he at least deserves some credit um, in that regard. Okay. So we have another show for you. That's going to go over all those awards for the national league. But before we get out of this show, Dusty, you've got a little uh, special segment here for us. Well, we always enjoy getting awards, but Derek, What's better than receiving a rose? There is nothing better than receiving a rose. Obviously, <laughs> the, the Bachelorette has started this past week. It's Katie Thurston's season. And so naturally, I take a look at the most recent and most dramatic season of The Bachelorette and The Bachelor and compare them briefly Don't to our favorite MLB teams. They might. They might say that. Chris Harrison's no longer there anymore, though. And so uh, you can tell me what you think of it when you watch it. It's definitely a weird dynamic not having the man, the myth, the legends. Uh, by the way, his kid goes to TCU, so he did make a, a correct decision on that. Um, but 
without being political, controversial, anything like that, it is a new year, a new season of The Bachelorette. But let's take a look at our 15 AL teams and the comparisons. What Derek's going to do here is he's either going to drink if he disagrees with what I say, so you'll only hear the guzzle, or he'll accept my rose. Okay, that's pretty much the direction he's going to go. Derek, number one, we're going to the AL East here. It starts with the Rays. And I think the Tampa Bay Rays comparison would be on Tasha's season. Zach Clark ended up with Tasha, ultimately engaged together. For the Rays, they are this close to being one of those championship squads. And to me, I think they're underrated. Zach was underrated as well. And at the end of the day, both look like they could come out on top with, you know, a quality organization. And I think a lot of people are very likable for Zach uh, to like what he kind of offered to the table. I think a lot of people enjoy what the Rays offer at this time. Do you accept my rose on Zach Clark? I mean, sure. I didn't watch that season. I haven't watched this season. <laughs> I haven't watched the season before. So, uh, sure, I'll take your word for it. Sounds great. Uh, the next one we got, the Red Sox. Noah Herb. Derek, if you didn't watch the season, you got to keep an eye on the mustache. Noah Herb had a mustache that Tasha ultimately made him shave off. That lost his identity a little bit. And for me, I think the Red Sox identity early on in the season was a team that can mash. And ultimately, they were pitching pretty dang well across the board. The moment the mustache went off for Noah and things started to spin out of control. For the Red Sox, it may not be spinning out of control, but they're not playing like a first-place team they once were. They're still in the competition. Noah made it to the final seven, I believe. And so I believe at the end of the day, the Red Sox and Noah have a pretty good comparison. Do you accept my rose? I think if he had to shave off his mustache, he should be the Yankees. So I do not accept. (laughs) Take a drink. Speaking of the Yankees, we have Bennett Jordan. Derek, Bennett Jordan was probably the most ritzy human being I've ever seen on this show. He talked about his green juice. He talked about how he worked out every day and ultimately flaunted his entire life on Instagram. For the Yankees, obviously, there's a lot of cash there. There's a lot of, you know, the beautiful stadium and everything that goes with the glory of being for the New York Yankees. But ultimately, to me right now, they don't look like a team I would consider to be a World Series threat. I don't know about you. I know they've caught a little bit of fire recently. Uh, but to me, there's still a lot of missing pieces. And Bennett's relationship with Taisha was not quite there. It never seemed like he was actually going to be one of the finalists at the end of the day. He was going to be in the running, but he was never a true candidate to be a World Series contender, if you will. Do you accept my rose? Sure. <laughs> then we go on to the Blue Jays. And Jacenia Cruz may be the most underrated on the show uh, for Matt James' this season. I don't think their connection was necessarily great, but Jacenia came out, kind of impressed a lot of people, if you will. For the Toronto Blue Jays, I think that they're still kind of hovering in that area of competition where they may be contending for a playoff spot. I like the pieces they have. You mentioned they have Vlad Guerrero Jr., who could be the MVP favorite right now. Jacenia, I think, caught the attention of a lot of the Bachelor Nation fans across the board. Uh, if you will, she was kind of underrated going in a little bit on the younger side at Vlad Guerrero Jr. You got Boba Shed. It's a younger team as a whole. I think there's a comp between the two of them. So do you accept my rose? Okay, so for all I know, you were just like lying about what these people are like. I would have no idea. <laughs> I have not seen <laughs> Um, so I feel like I'm going to have to accept, but I'm going to, one thing, we're running a little long here. So here's what we're going to do. You give me the final one in the AL East, and then we will just spread this out over the course of the next, I guess that'd be six shows. So we'll do one division per show. Does that work? That's beautiful. Let's do yeah. it. And we're going to end with the worst team in the American League East, which is the Baltimore Orioles. And 
I can't even tell you, first of all, how to pronounce his last name. So I'm going to give it the best wing I can here. His name is Ed Waysbrot or Wasbrot or Waysbrot. I have no idea. Anyways, Ed is a complete dud. Okay, first of all, just to throw that out there. He was on Tasha season and Claire season. All he did was try to piggyback off a couple other people on the show. Uh, at the end of the day, he really had no personality. There was not a lot of flair to him. The only thing people enjoyed was hope- hoping that he would get punched by Chasen. Uh, the Orioles are getting punched by the entire division. Their one little, I guess, positive flair to them is that they have Cedric Mullins and Trey Mancini having good and years. Means. And John Means. I can't forget John Means. But ultimately, the Orioles are pretty punchable right now. They're pretty much kind of sitting back in the crowd. They don't really have an impact in the game. And uh, Ed was basically a big waste of time on the show. Do you accept Do I Harris? drink if I agree or disagree? I forgot. You drink if you disagree with me. Okay, I'm just going to drink because I want to drink. After- <laughs> so, uh, well, I disagree with you, Derek. Cheers to that. Like I said, stick around for our next show. Be on the lookout for that. We'll have the National League Awards. We'll go over some more of uh, maybe we'll do the NL West. How about that for the next show? So be on the lookout for that as well. For Dusty Baker, I'm Derek Johnson. Thank you to Mixkit for all the stock music here. Thanks again to Man Cave Merch. As we mentioned, perfect Father's Day gift for your dad. We're on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Amazon Audible. Follow us on social media at Booze and Baseball. Email us, boozeandbaseball at gmail.com. Have a good one. Thanks for accepting our rose.